Hello and welcome, true crime friends. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you do not celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you just had a wonderful weekend. My family and I got to go to one Thanksgiving this year, which was wonderful. Usually there's like four that we're supposed to go to, but we were already busy and already had plans. So we just went to the one. I hope everybody got their fill of food and family. So today I have a story for you. It's just a bonus story. It's about John Bingham, the seventh Earl of Lucan. He was a pretty heavy gambler. So how about we get into it, guys? So I haven't done a what I drinking the last couple times, which I apologize for. Um, I don't have champagne today. I have um, some pre-workout because I'm doing the 62 mile challenge in December. So I'm working on getting my 62 miles for St. Jude in uh, before I actually have to leave for vacation in December. So I'm sneaking a couple in early. Um, so I'm drinking pre-workout. So not very exciting, except it makes me feel bubbly. So there you go. Richard John Bingham, the seventh Earl of Lucan, born December 18th, 1934, disappeared November 8th, 1974, declared dead on February 2016. Commonly known as Lord Lucan was a British peer who disappeared after being suspected of murder. He was an Anglo-Irish aristocrat, aristocrat the eldest son of George Bingham, 6th Earl of Lucan, and Caitlin Dawson. Lucan was an evacuee during the Second World War, but returned to attend Eton College and served with the Coldstream Guards in West Germany from 1953 to 1955. Having developed a taste for gambling, he played backgammon and bridge, and was an early member of the exclusive group of rich British gamblers at the Claremont Club. Lucan's losses often exceeded his winnings, Yet he left his job at a London-based merchant bank and became a professional gambler. He was known as Lord Bingham from April 1949 until January 1964 during his father's lifetime. Lucan was considered for the role of James Bond in the cinematic adaptations of Ian Fleming's novels. He was pretty good-looking, so he would have probably made a pretty good James Bond, except for being a murderer. He was also known for his expensive tastes. He raced powerboats and drove an Aston Martin. In 1963, Lucan married Veronica Duncan, with whom he had three children. The couple moved home to 46 Lower Belgrave Street in Belgravia in 1967, paying £17,500 for their house, which in U.S. dollars at that time would have been about $21,000. And today... In pounds, it would have been 375,400 pounds, and in dollars, it would have been about 451,980, give or take. So, a little bit expensive. After the marriage collapsed in 1972, he moved out to a nearby property. A bitter custody battle ensued, which Lucan eventually lost. Apparently obsessed with regaining custody of his children, Lucan began to spy on his wife and record their telephone conversations. This fixation, combined with mounting legal expenses and gambling losses, had a dramatic effect on Lucan's life and personal finances. 
I would guess so. On the evening of November 7, 1974, Sandra Rivet, the nanny of Lucan's children, was bludgeoned to death in the kitchen of the Lucan family home. Lady Lucan was also attacked after going to investigate Rivet's whereabouts. She identified Lord Lucan as her assailant. Lucan had, by then, driven to visit a friend in Uckfield, East Sussex. Lucan then telephoned his mother and asked her to collect his children. Saying there had been an incident at the family home, he also penned a letter. His car was found abandoned in New Haven, its interior stained with blood, and its boot containing a piece of bandaged lead pipe similar to one found at the crime scene. By the time the police issued a warrant for his arrest a few days later, Lucan had vanished. At the inquest into Rivet's death, held in June 1975, the jury returned a verdict naming Lucan as her killer. There had been continuing interest in Lucan's fate, with hundreds of alleged sightings being reported in various countries around the world, none of which has been substantiated. Despite a police investigation and widespread press coverage, Lucan has never been found. He was presumed dead in chambers on December 11, 1992, and was declared legally dead in October 1999. Finally, in 2016, a death certificate was issued, allowing his titles to be inherited by his son George. Sandra Eleanor Rivet was born on September 16, 1945, the third child of Albert and Eunice Hensby. The family moved to Australia when she was two years old, but returned in 1955. Sandra was a popular child, described at school as intelligent, although she does not excel academically. She worked for six months as an apprentice hairdresser before taking a job as a secretary in Croydon. After a failed romance, Sandra became a voluntary patient at a mental hospital near Red Hill, Surrey, where she was treated for depression. She became engaged to a builder named John and took a job as a children's nanny for a doctor in Croydon. On March 13, 1964, she gave birth to a boy named Stephen, but as her relationship with John was failing, she returned home to live with her family and considered giving the baby up for adoption. Her parents took on the responsibility and adopted him in May of 1965. Sandra later worked at a home for the elderly before moving to Portsmouth to stay with her older sister. While there, she met Roger Rivett, the married, the two married on June 10, 1967 in Croydon. Roger was serving as a Royal Navy able seaman and later worked as a loader for British Road Services. While Sandra worked part-time at Reedham Orphanage in Purley, in mid-1973 he took a job on an SO tanker returning to their flat in Kenley a few months later, by which time Sandra was employed by a cigarette company in Croydon. The marriage then collapsed in May 1974 when, suspicious of Sandra's movements while he was away, Roger went to live with his parents. She was by then listed on the books of a Belgravia domestic agency and had been caring for an elderly couple in that district. A few weeks later, she began to work for the Lucans. Sandra normally went out with her boyfriend, John Hankins, on Thursday nights, but had changed her night off and had seen him the previous day. The two last spoke on the telephone at about 8 p.m. on November 7th. After putting the younger children to bed at about 8.55 p.m., she asked Victoria if she would like a cup of tea before heading downstairs to the basement kitchen to make one. As she entered the room, Sandra was bludgeoned to death with a piece of bandaged lead pipe. Her killer then placed her body into a canvas mailbag. 
Meanwhile, wondering what had delayed her nanny, Lady Lucan descended from the first floor to see what had happened. She called to Rivet from the top of the basement stairs and was herself attacked. As she screamed for her life, her attacker told her to shut up. Lady Lucan later claimed, at that moment, to have recognized her husband's voice. The two apparently continued to fight. She bit his fingers, and when he threw her face down to the carpet, managed to turn around and squeeze his testicles. Get it, girl causing him to release his grip on her throat and give up the fight. When she asked where Rivet was, Lucan was at first evasive, but eventually admitted to having killed her. Terrified, Lady Lucan told him she could help him escape if only he would remain at the house for a few days, to allow her injuries to heal. Lucan walked upstairs and sent his daughter to bed, then went into one of the bedrooms. When Veronica entered to lie down on the bed, he told her to put towels down first to avoid staining the bedding. Lucan asked her if she had any barbiturates and went to the bathroom to get a wet towel, supposedly to clean Veronica's face. Lady Lucan realized her husband would be unable to hear her from the bathroom and made her escape, running outside to a nearby public house called the Plumber's Arms. Lucan may have arrived at the Chester Square home of Madeline Florman, mother of one of his daughter's school friends, sometime between 10 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. Alone in the house, Foreman ignored the door, but shortly afterwards she received an incoherent telephone call and put the receiver down. Bloodstains, which after forensic examination, were found to be a mixture of blood groups A and B, were later discovered on the doorstep. Lucan certainly called his mother between 10.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. and asked her to collect the children from Lower Belgrave Street. According to the Dowager Countess, he spoke of a terrible catastrophe at his wife's home. He told her that he had been driving past the house when he saw Veronica fighting with a man in the basement, and that he had entered the property and found his wife screaming. The location from which Lucan made this call, and possibly the call to Florman, remains unknown. The police forced their way into Lady Lucan's home and discovered Rivet's body before his wife was taken by ambulance to St. George's Hospital. Lucan drove the Ford Corsair 42 miles to Uckfield, East Sussex, to visit his friends, the Maxwell Scots. Susan Maxwell Scott's meeting with Lucan was his last confirmed sighting. By the time Detective Chief Superintendent Roy Ranson arrived at Lower Belgrave Street early on November 8th, the divisional surgeon had pronounced Rivet dead, and forensic officers and photographers had been called to the property. Other than the front door, which the first two officers on the scene had kicked in, there was no other sign of forced entry. A bloodstained towel was found in Veronica's first-floor bedroom, the area around the top of the basement staircase was also heavily bloodstained. A bloodstained lead pipe lay on the floor. Pictures hanging from the staircase walls were askew, and a metal banister rail was damaged. At the foot of the stairs, two cups and saucers lay in a pool of blood. Its arm protruded from the canvas sack, which lay in a slowly expanding pool of blood. The light fitting at the bottom of the stairs was missing its bulb. One was noted nearby on a chair. Blood was also found on various leaves in the adjoining rear garden. Officers also searched uh, Five Eaton Row, into which Lucan had moved early in 1973, interviewed by his mother, interviewed his mother, whom he had called to take the children to her home in St. John's Wood, and searched his last address at 72A Elizabeth Street. Nothing untoward was found. On the bed, a suit and shirt lay alongside a book on Greek shipping millionaires, and Lucan's wallet car keys, money, driving license, handkerchief, and spectacles were on a bedside table. 
His passport was in a drawer, and its blue Mercedes-Benz had been parked outside, its engine cold and its battery flat. Ranson then visited Lady Lucan at St. George's Hospital, and although heavily sedated, she was able to describe what had happened to her. A police officer was left to guard her should her assailant return. Rivet's body was taken to the mortuary, and a search was undertaken of all local basement areas and gardens, skips, and open spaces. After removing her corpse from the canvas sack and beginning the post-mortem examination, pathologist Keith Simpson told Ranson he was certain that Rivet had been killed before her body was placed in the sack, and that in his opinion, the lead pipe found at the scene could be the murder weapon. Her estranged husband, Roger, had an alibi for the night concerned and for the night concerned, and was eliminated from police inquiries. Other male friends and boyfriends were questioned and discounted as suspects. Rivet's parents confirmed that she had a good working relationship with Lady Lucan and was extremely fond of, ch- of the children. Meanwhile, Lucan had yet to make an appearance, and so his description was circulated to police forces across the country. Newspapers and television stations were told only that he was wanted by the police for questioning. Hours earlier, Lucan had again called his mother at about 12.30 a.m. He told her that he would be in touch later that day, but declined to speak with the police constable who had accompanied her to her flat. Instead, he said he would call the police later that morning. Ransom discovered that Lucan had traveled to Uckfield and when he was called by an Ian Maxwell Scott, who told him that Lucan had arrived at his home a few hours after the murder and spoken to his wife Susan. While there, the Earl had written two letters to his brother-in-law, Bill Shand Kidd, and posted them to his London address. Maxwell Scott also called Kidd at his country house near Leighton Buzzard and told him about the letters, prompting the latter to immediately drive to London to collect them. After reading them and noting that they were bloodstained, he took them to Ranson. And one of the notes says, Dear Bill, the most ghastly circumstances arose tonight, which I briefly described to my mother. When I interrupted the fight at Lower Belgrave Street and the man left Victoria and the man left, Victoria accused me of having hired him. I took her upstairs and sent Frances up to bed and tried to clean her up. She lay doggo for a bit and when I was in the bathroom left the house. The circumstantial evidence against me is strong in that V will say it was all my doing. I will also lie doggo for a bit, but I am only concerned for the children. If you can manage it, I want them to live with you. V has demonstrated her hatred for me in the past and would do anything to see me accused. For George and Francis to go through life knowing their father had stood in the dock for attempted murder would be too much. When they are old enough to understand, explain to them the dream of paranoia and look after them. Yours ever, John. When asked why she did not immediately inform the police of Lucan's presence, Susan said she had not seen any newspapers, television news, or listened to any radio broadcasts that might have warned her of the importance of his visit. Meanwhile, Lucan's children were taken by their aunt, Lady Sarah Gibbs, to her home in Gilesborough, Northamptonshire, where they would remain for several weeks. On the day Lady Lucan was discharged from hospital, a high court hearing confirmed that the children could return to live with her. Repeated press intrusions later forced the family to move to a friend's home in Plymouth. The Ford Corsair that Lucan had been seen driving and whose details had the previous day been circulated across the country was found on November 10th in Norman Road, New Haven, about 16 miles from Uckfield. In its boot was a piece of lead pipe covered in surgical tape and a full bottle of vodka. The car was removed for forensic examination. Later, 
Statements from two witnesses suggest that it was parked there sometime between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. on the morning of November 8th. Its owner, Michael Stoop, also received a letter from Lucan delivered to his club, the St. James. However, Stoop threw the envelope away, and it was therefore not possible to check its postmark to see where, from where it had been sent. And his letter states, My dear Michael, I have had a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidence. However, I won't bore you with anything or involve you except to say that when you come across my children, which I hope you will, please tell them that you knew me and that all I cared about was them. The fact that a crooked solicitor and a rotten psychiatrist destroyed me between them will be of no importance to the children. I gave Bill Kidd an account of what actually happened, but judging by my last effort in court, no one, let alone a 67-year-old judge, would believe and I no longer a care except that my children should be protected. Yours ever, John. Rancis suspected suicide, but a thorough search of New Haven Downs was judged impossible. A partial search was made using tracker dogs, but all that was found were the skeletal remains of a judge who had disappeared years earlier. Police divers searched the harbor, and a partial search using infrared photography was undertaken the following year, to no avail. A warrant for Lucan's arrest to answer charges of murdering Sandra Rivet and attempting to murder his wife was issued on November 12th. Descriptions of his appearance already issued to police forces across the UK were then issued to Interpol. The scientific examination of the lead pipes found at the murder scene and in the Corsair's boot revealed traces of blood on the pipe from 46 Lower Belgrave Street. This proved to be a mixture of Lady Lucan's blood, blood group A, and Rivet's, blood group B, blood. Hair belonging to Lady Lucan was also found on that pipe, but none belonging to Rivet. The pipe found inside the Corsair had neither blood nor hair on it. Home office scientists were unable to prove conclusively that both pipes were cut from the same longer piece of piping, although they thought it likely. The tape wrapped around both was similar, but those two could not be conclusively linked. The letters written to Kidd were stained with blood considered to be from both women. The letter to Stoop had no blood on it, but it was later proven that the paper it was written on had been torn from a writing pad found in the Corsair's boot. An examination of the bloodstains found inside 46 Lower Belgrave Street demonstrated that Rivet had been attacked in the basement kitchen, while Lady Lucan had been attacked at the top of the basement stairs. The bloodstains found inside the Corsair were of the AB blood group. The report concluded that this might have been a mixture of blood from both women. Hair similar to Lady Lucan's was also found inside the car. By the afternoon of November 8th, the newspaper's early editions carried photographs of the Lucans across their front pages, accompanied by headlines like Bean Sack, Countess Runs Out Screaming, and Belgravia Murder, Earl Sought. A meeting that day at the Claremont between Aspinall, Minerdshagen, Kidd, L. Weiss, Charles Benson, and Stephen Raphael became the cause of much press speculation. Minerts Hagen and Raphael later insisted that the gathering was just a rational discussion between concerned friends, keen to share anything they knew about what had happened. But the relationship between the Metropolitan Police and Lucan's social circle was strained. Some officers complained that an Eaton Mafia worked against them. Susan Maxwell Scott refused to add to her statement, and when Aspinall's mother, Lady Osborne, was asked if she could help locate Lucan's body, she replied, 
The last I heard of him, he was being fed to the tigers at my son's zoo, prompting the police to search the house and the animal cages there. Police searched 14 country houses and estates, including Holcomb Hall and Warwick Castle, to no avail. Amidst concerns expressed by the Labour MP Marcus Lipton that some people were being a bit snooty with the police, Benson wrote a letter to the editor to the Times asking him to either identify those people or kindly withdraw his remarks. To its cost, the satirical, satirical magazine Private Eye accused Goldsmith of being at the Claremont meeting when he was actually in Ireland. Elwes went to see Lady Lucan in hospital and was reportedly deeply shocked by both her appearance and her statement. Who is the mad one now? Elwes was apparently unhappy at some of the negative press coverage of the Countess and was later ostracized by his friends for his part in the article Critical of Lucan which appeared in the Sunday Times magazine. He committed suicide in September 1975. Rivet's case made headlines around the world. Within days of the murder, newspapers reported on Lady Lucan's statement to the police, with claims that she had pretended to collude with her husband to ensure her safety. In January 1975, Lady Lucan gave an exclusive interview to the Daily Express. She also appeared in a murder reconstruction in the same newspaper, complete with posed photographs taken inside the house. The inquest into Sandra Rivet's death opened on November 13, 1974, and was led by the coroner for Inner West London, Gavin Thurston. Two witnesses were called to the courtroom, which was packed with reporters. Roger Rivet, who confirmed that he had identified his wife's body, and the pathologist Keith Simpson, who confirmed that Rivet had died from being hit on the head with a blunt instrument. At Ranson's request, the hearing was then adjourned. Further adjournments were made on December 11, 1974 and March 10, 1975, before a full inquest was scheduled for June 16, 1975. The hearing began with introductions from various legal representatives, including a lawyer hired for Lucan by his mother. Thurston introduced the jury to the case and explained their duties. He had selected 33 witnesses to be called over the following few days, including Lady Lucan, who each day wore a dark coat and white headscarf. Thurston questioned her on her relationship with Lucan, her marriage, her financial affairs, her employment of Rivet, and what had happened the night on the night of the attack. The Dowager Countess's Queen Council attempted to ask Lady Lucan about the nature of, her, of their relationship or if she had hated her husband, but Thurston ruled this line of questioning inadmissible. Women Detective Constable Sally Blower who had taken a statement from Lady Frances Lucan on November 20th, 1974, read the young girl's words to the court. Frances had heard a scream, and within a few minutes later had watched as her mother, blood on her face, and father had entered the room. Her mother had then sent her to bed. She was later heard she later heard her father calling for her mother, asking where she was, and watched as he left the bathroom and walked downstairs. She also described how Rivet did not normally work on Thursday nights. The landlord of the Plumber's Arms pub described how Lady Lucan had entered his bar covered head to toe in blood before she fell into a state of shock. He claimed that she shouted, help me, help me, I've just escaped from being murdered, and my children, my children, he's murdered my nanny. Simpson outlined his post-mortem examination, concluding that death was caused by blunt head injuries and inhalation of blood. He confirmed that the lead pipe found at the scene was most likely responsible for Rivet's injuries. Some, to the left eye and mouth, he thought more likely to have been caused by punches from a clenched fist. 
The last person to confirm seeing Lucan alive, Susan Maxwell Scott, told the court that the Earl looked disheveled and was his hair was a little ruffled. His trousers had a damp patch on the right hip, and Lucan had told her that he was walking or passing by the lower Belgrave Street residence when he saw Veronica being attacked by a man. He let himself in but slipped in a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. He told Maxwell Scott the attacker ran off and that Veronica was very hysterical and accused him of having hired her to kill her. Once the hearing had ended, Thurston made a summary of the evidence presented and told the jury their options. At 11.45 a.m., their foreman announced murder by Lord Lucan. Lucan became the first member of the House of Lords to be named a murderer in 1760 when Lawrence Shirley, 4th Earl Ferrers, was hanged for killing his bailiff. He was also the last person to be committed by a coroner to the Crown Court for unlawful killing. The coroner's power to do so was removed by the Criminal Law Act 1977. Rivet's body, which had been laid held for several weeks following the murder, was released to her family and cremated at Croydon Crematorium on December 18, 1974. A police spokesman cited Lady Lucan's desire not to upset the family as a reason for her non-attendance at the cremation. Lucan's friends and family were critical of the inquest, which they felt offered a one-sided view of events. His mother told reporters that it did not serve any useful purpose at all. Veronica's sister, Christina, said that she had felt great sadness and sorrow at the verdict. Susan Maxwell Scott continued to press the Earl's claims of innocence and claimed to feel awfully sorry for the Countess. However, as Lucan remained absent, his description of a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidence came only from the letters he authored and the people he had spoke with soon after Rivet's murder. While his fingerprints were not found at the scene, his assertions make no provision for the lead pipe discovered in the boot of the Corsair. The claims by some that he discussed murdering his wife or the lack of viable suspect for the man he claimed to have seen fighting her, no sign of a forced entry was found, and officers attempting to demonstrate that Lucan had seen into the basement kitchen from the street could only do so by stooping low to the pavement. The light in the basement of 46 Lower Belgrave was not working, making it even more difficult to see into the room. Its light bulb, which was tested and found to be in working order, was found removed from its holder and left lying on the chair. Furthermore, Lady Lucan claimed not to have entered the basement that night, contradicting the Earl's version of events. His wife's account was, is supported by the forensic examination made of the blood splashes and stains around the property. Some traces of Lady Lucan's blood were found in the basement, the rear garden, and on the canvas sack used to store Rivet's body. This may have been due to contamination at the scene. The man Lucan claimed to have seen could not have left through the basement door as it was locked, and the rear door led into a walled garden though through which no trace of any escape was found. No signs that the man left the ground by ground level front door were discovered, and no witnesses reported in near 46 Lower Belgrave Street. In contrast to his defenders, the national press were almost unanimous in their condemnation of Lucan. Their lead, leader writers ignored the threat of libel and identified him as Rivet's killer. The last confirmed sighting of Lucan was about 1.15 a.m. on November 8, 1974, as he exited the driveway of the Maxwell Scott property in Stoops Ford Corsair, and his ultimate fate remains mystery. 
Ranson initially claimed that Lucan had done the honorable thing and fallen on his own sword, a view repeated by many of Lucan's friends, including Aspinall, who said that he believed that the Earl was guilty of Rivet's murder and that he had committed suicide by scuttling his motorboat and jumping into the English Channel with a stone tied to his body. Lady Lucan, who died by suicide in 2017, believed her husband had killed himself, like the noble man he was. Ranson later changed his view, explaining that he considered it more likely that suicide was far from Lucan's thoughts, that a drowning at sea was implausible, and that the Earl had moved to southern Africa. A detective who led a new investigation into Lucan's disappearance 32 years after the murder told the Telegraph that the evidence points towards the fact that Lord Lucan left the country and lived abroad for a number of years. Susan Maxwell Scott told author John Pearson that Lucan might have been helped out of the country by a shadowy underground financiers before being judged too great a risk, killed and buried in Switzerland. Advertising executive Jeremy Scott proposed a similar theory, as he was familiar with some of the Claremont set. Lucan's disappearance has captivated the public's imagination for decades, with thousands of sightings reported around the world. One of the earliest such sightings occurred shortly after the murder, but it turned out to be British politician John Stonehouse, who had attempted to fake his own death. The police traveled to France in June the following year to hunt another lead to no avail. A sighting in Colombia turned out to be an American businessman. John Miller, a bounty hunter who previously kidnapped fugitive train robber Ronnie Biggs, claimed to have captured the Earl in 1982 but was later exposed by the News of the World as a hoaxer. In 2003, a former Scotland Yard detective thought that he attracted the Earl to Goa, India, but the man whom he traced was actually Barry Halpin, a folk singer from Merseyside. In 2007, reporters in New Zealand interviewed a homeless British expatriate who neighbors claimed was the missing Earl. George Bingham responded to claims that the two eldest Lucan children were sent to Gabon in early 1980s so that their father might secretly watch them from a distance, and denied ever visiting the country. Lady Lucan dismissed the newspaper claims of sightings as nonsense, reiterating that her husband was not the sort of Englishman to cope abroad. In 2020, a sighting was reported in Australia. A pensioner living in suburban Brisbane was alleged to be Lord Lucan by Professor Hassel Ugale, a leading computer scientist. He claimed state-of-the-art facial recognition technology had positively identified the elder as the missing British aristocrat. The man who lives in what was described as a Buddhist commune in Brisbane's outer suburbs was found by Miss Rivett's son, Neil Berryman, and the elderly man is the same age as Lucan. Very interesting. Well, thank you all so much for bearing with me through that. I know it was a little longer than usual, and there were some words in there that I just apparently can't do because it's Monday. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. We'll be back uh, later this week, maybe not with Mark, I'm not sure yet, um, for some more witches. So hopefully you guys get excited for that. And as always... Thank you for taking your time and listening. And if you guys have any stories for us, our email is champagneandmurderplease at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, both uh, Champagne and Murder Please. I think the Instagram has underscores after every word. 
for some weird reason. Um, but yeah, if you guys have anything that you want to talk to us about, you guys want us to cover anything, you just want to hear your story read online or over the air or whatever, um, please send them in. We love hearing from you guys. We've gotten a couple so far, so keep them coming. And hopefully we can have a, another like full episode with your guys' stories. That'd be great. Stay safe. Don't take candy from strangers. Goodbye.